You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And it's time now for the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lintonello. And, uh, you know, practice makes perfect, right, Richard? Yes, it does. You, but basically, you got it now, so we're good. We're good okay. To go. Okay. Well, I was afraid you were going to send yeah. our boys down and uh, take care of me if I didn't get it right. Well, <laughs> yeah, they would. My cousin Carmine ain't, ain't too happy. <laughs> <laughs> if you could just get a little bit more of a Brooklyn accent with that, David, it would be best. You know, oh, jeez. Practice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, being from Texas, it's hard to get that Brooklyn accent, you know? But I'll work on that next week. So, let's get going with the classic car show. It's, I know it's going to be a great one, as always. And, uh, I'll turn it over to Mr. Cox and Mr. Lintonello. So, Right at the get-go, I, I kind of have to put in a little bit of a personal plug. I want to uh, give a big shout-out to uh, all my uh, hundreds of uh, friends, and Richard's too, by the way, um, up in uh, Gettysburg, PA, for the uh, AACA uh, annual convention. Um, I know they've got a lot of great seminars going on, judging schools, uh, a three-day extravaganza um, of events, uh, including, you know, Pinewood Derby races and uh, a uh, manufacturer's midway and a whole lot of other things going on. And uh, it even got a, a celebrity, Bob Wallace of J.C. Taylor, is, is bound to be strolling the hallways up there uh, in Gettysburg. But uh, and the AACA annual convention is, is a great time, and it's a great opportunity. And as everybody always says, you get involved in the car hobby because you love the cars, and then you meet the people, and uh, that just makes it all that much better. And I bet later on in the show you're going to give Bob Wallace another plug and J.C. Taylor insurance. You never can tell. <laughs> I, we, we might just do that. Okay. Richard might do that, actually. You know, I keep hearing about this yeah, Richard I, guy and what a wonderful writer he <laughs> is. Gee, it's almost embarrassing. Well, well, you know, Sister Teresa wouldn't agree with you because she whacked me over the head many times. Miss Galantinelle, don't you know a verb from a noun? <laughs> but good thing things have changed. That's right. Okay, back to you guys. Yeah. Back to you so, guys in the show. I guess, Rich, <laughs> we were going to try to talk about uh, everything you always wanted to avoid when buying a uh, collector car. So... Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of meat on that bone. I think we could probably talk about this for probably two or two or three shows. But uh, you know, what what are your thoughts initially? You know, somebody's going out, they're getting ready. You know, they're seasoned buyers that go out and and make mistakes too. But uh, you know, if you're going out to buy that collector car, what are some of the things that you look for, Richard? Well, what I do when I first approach a car. And I know I'm going to spend, you know, two hours looking at it before I make a decision to buy it. Is I stand back like 20 feet, and I just slowly walk around the car because when you're standing back, the first thing you could look at is 
reflections in the in the bodywork and see if there's any waves, which is a telltale sign of damage or, you know, bondo, things like that. Uh, then you look at the panel gaps, and they need to be uniform, you know, or in the fenders and the quarter panels and all that stuff. And if, if you know, if it's a convertible and you see the panel gap is almost non-existent at the top of the door versus the bottom, then you know that the car has lots of rust issues and uh, it's kind of folding in, as we say. So uh, you want to take a close look at the panel gaps. And then, you know, once you get closer, uh, first thing you do, of course, is you look at the rocker panels or you get underneath, you look at the uh, floor pans uh, in the interior, pull back the carpeting to see if uh, the floor pans are original or maybe they were just, you know, riveted sheet metal to cover up, you know, corrosion problems. So rust is the biggest issue because restoring a body is the most expensive part of the restoration. Mechanically, you don't care because basically every mechanical part it is available can be refabricated, rebuilt, remachined. That doesn't matter unless it's an ultra-fair car. But uh, it's the body. It's the corrosion. That's the stuff that you got to look at first and foremost when you first approach a car. So the other thing is, if it's, if it's a rare car, you want to look at, you know, trim, because a lot of trim is not available. I mean, you know, it's available for Mustangs, Camaros, Corvettes, and things like that. But, you know, old Hudsons and Packards and Studebakers and, uh, you know, and Aldis, you know, uh, a lot of trim is just not available. So if, if a lot of trim is missing, that's going to cost you. You're going to have to do a worldwide search or things have to be fabricated, which is very expensive. So... uh those are just the tips before you even get into test driving the car and starting it and hearing it for the first time. So, uh, again, the body is everything. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I back, so, you know, it's kind of funny. Back when I was uh, a fledgling uh, enthusiast, I, I looked at cars and I, I looked at them for what they were. You know, I let the cars romance me too much, and and that's easy to do. Uh, to get romantic about those cars, and you start having all these ideas about you know what it could look like, what it what it does look like. You know, it's sort of like you know you you're looking at it at 3 a.m. like you've had four or five drinks, and it's starting to look a whole lot better than it really, really is. And, you know, I, I gosh, so many times I looked at a car, and I was like, gosh, I, you know, I can fix that. That's not that bad. You know, and, the, and this was when I was starting out, and, you know, the, the sad truth of that is, you know, sometimes, you know, People enjoy doing that type of work. I mean, I, I know a lot of enthusiasts that really love a, a challenge, but, you know, they're very skilled. They're not concerned about the money and time that they're going to put in to build it back. They're, they're, for them, it's all about the build, all about putting it back together. But for, you know, people like myself, I don't want to spend all of my time and effort chasing rust. The problem with rust is, as they say, it never sleeps. You know, you can get in there, you can weld in panels, and you can use all the proper coatings and everything else. But rust always wants to come back, To Even once you fixed it, it's always there. And, you know, the other part of it is you always find more. 
I mean, haven't you always found that? You know, you, you think you've gotten all the rust, and then you probe into that one wheel well or, or somewhere else, an inner rocker panel, and then it's weak. And then you start to chip away at it. It always looks better than it really is. It's always far worse than what it looks like. And, and that, that's a, a huge problem with rust. Yeah, you know, that's why it's a big advantage to uh, buy a car. Let's say you have your heart set on a particular model car that you want to restore to perfection. Uh, it, it's best to start with a car if you can find one from the southwest or the, the west coast. Uh, those things are rust-free, uh, relatively speaking. You know, every car is going to have some bit of corrosion, but for the most part, uh, all they need is some cleaning, scraping, and, you know, you start painting. So that's an advantage, you know. Uh, if, I was if, if, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say my my first trip out to the to Arizona. I I was in Tucson area uh, judging a show out there and decided that I would take a break uh, one afternoon and go hit one of the uh, junkyards about forty five miles outside of Tucson, and I, I went out there. And it was an emotional experience. <laughs> it was like uh, you know going to going to Mecca or someplace for you know automotive Mecca. And because all these cars out there, even in the junkyard, you know, they still had good paint on the bottom side. You know, and some of them were stacked up. They were cars that, gosh, we would have just cried to have um, out east because um, you know we don't get those types of cars now the one nice thing about the internet and all of our social media and all these other platforms that we can use uh for project to find a project car um you can access those cars pretty easily i mean the you know years ago there used to always be those few guys that would uh spend some time during during the year gathering up uh, a truckload or a uh trailer load of these cars from out there in the Midwest. They'd show up at Hershey and various swap meets and so forth. But at that point, you know, unless you decided you wanted to drive out there and search for them, you know, they weren't all that easily found out, out east. All we had was, you know, what we call dustpan cars. You know, you'd hit them a couple of times hard and, you know, sweep up what you had and see what was left. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing um, how much time and effort you can uh, save you get a decent car to start with i always call it an honest car you know the the dishonest cars the car that you can still smell the paint on at the uh, swap meet you know that you know it's got layers of bondo under it you know it's got all kinds of issues but you know you get that car and it's still got its original paint on it for the most part it's got some patina. It's got a little surface rust throwing, showing through, but you can go over that car and actually see what see what's there, see what the bones are. Yeah, not, nothing's covered up by a previous owner trying to make a quick sale, you know. But uh, another some another good bit of advice is before you pull the trigger and you buy, let's say you want to buy a Lotus Europa, the best thing to do is join the Lotus Owners Club or any appropriate club for the car that you want to buy, and talk to some of the members about that particular model car that you want to buy and find out what are the pros and cons, you know, which parts are impossible to get that you got to make sure that the car you're about to buy has those parts, you know. What about mechanical issues? And, of course, you know, 
electrical issues, uh, that always sets a lot of people back because uh, electrical, you know, electrical problems, you know, uh, they're there, but you can't see them. So uh, join the club, get advice, do some research, maybe buy some books on that particular car so you can start reading. So you're making sure that the car you look at has the correct engine, the correct carburetor, the correct seats. You know, a lot of things like that. So you really got to do your homework before you buy the car of your dreams. But, of course, if, if you know about that particular car, again, when you first approach it, step back, look at it from a distance, open and close the doors, make sure that they close and open correctly with the correct gaps and things like that. And then, you know, once, once you actually buy the car, let's say you, you do want it and you buy it, don't take it home and take it apart right away. If, if that's what your original intentions were to restore it, you know, you want to drive it for a little while, even if it's in your neighborhood un- unregistered. So you get to see, you know, <laughs> does it have first year synchro? You know, does the differential make noise? You know, what do you got to do during the restoration? So you, you really need to do some investigating before you take that car apart. But uh, even before you get to that stage, ask a lot of people. Do research, read up, even on the Internet. There's a lot of good information, and uh, this way you won't get screwed in the end. Well, a lot of people, you know, and I, I, you know, I've thought about this a lot over the, over the years, and this is just experience and, you know, watching what other people have done, watching what they've bought, you know, what, what their regrets were, you know, what the positives were. You know, the, the very first piece of advice I give everybody that tells me, you know, hey, I'm, I'm interested in getting a collectible car. The first thing you've got to do is come up with a realistic budget. You've got to come up with a realistic budget. You know, somewhere you have to have in your mind's eye what you want to spend. You, you, you know, yeah, you might end up spending a little more than that, and I keep that in mind, too, because, you know, generally speaking, it's never less than what you expect it to be. But set a budget. It's important to do that. You know, so many people get involved. They get a car. They get started on it. They take it apart, as Rich said, you know, which I agree with. I agree with you. You know, the last thing you want to do is just start taking it apart, unless it's, you know, just a complete project car and it's not drivable. But you want to make sure that you buy something that you're really going to love and you're going to enjoy. Because, you know, you can't figure you're going to spend hours working with this thing, hours looking for parts. Tom, and as Richard uh, said, you know, check into the clubs. Tom, let's th- let so, everybody but, think about their budget, as we all do today. And uh, we'll come back with Tom and Richard right after a couple of messages. And uh, when we come back, we'll get a message from Tom and Richard about J.C. Taylor. We'll be right back. It's all about cars and car people on the Classic Auto Mall podcast. Listen to new shows every week on AmericasWebRadio.com at 9 a.m. Eastern. After that, episodes are available there and on podcast providers such as Spotify and Google Play. Each week, Classic Auto Mall President Stuart Howden serves as your podcast host and interviews personalities from every aspect of the automotive world. Collectors, photographers, classic car dealers, and everyone in between. You don't want to miss an episode of the Classic Auto Mall podcast. Check out more at ClassicAutoMall.com. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. 
Every year, Elford State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. I needed that and as bad, as, rusted frame. <laughs> as, as we know, both of you uh, have J.C. Taylor insurance, so let's just do a little off-the-cuff spot for J.C. Taylor, and a shout-out again to Bob Wallace. Well, yeah, well, I, I've, I've had J.C. Taylor uh, insurance for many years, and last year when I sold my 63 Corvair Monza, you know, you call them up and you get the car, you have it taken off your insurance policy. And within like 10 days, I had a refund for for the car that I had taken off my policy. I mean, there was like six months remaining. And, you know, I didn't even ask for the refund. Boom, it was in my mail. You know? So uh, it, it's a real good, honest company and really nice people. And they do take care of you. I, I challenge everybody to, uh, you know, we all from time to time need to review what we're spending on things. Take him, uh, call J.C. Taylor. Let them uh, go over your uh, automotive portfolio and determine exactly uh, what your coverage needs are and compare apples to apples. And I'll bet you a dollar to a donut you're going to save money with J.C. Taylor every time. And they also have something that's very unique, and that's a great-upon price. And that's something that uh, they came up with, and uh, a great-upon value, I believe is the term. But anyway, we're glad to have J.C. Taylor and Bob Wallace. They've been with us ever since the start of the station, and we do appreciate it. So with that being said... We've done our dues for J.C. Taylor on this break. Let's get back to uh, buying a classic car. So, we were when we left off, as we spoke, we were talking about budgets. So, uh, just be sure that you know you, you know you can't provide for every issue that you can run into down the road i mean and life happens sometimes you know you end up having kids you know you buy a dog you buy a house or something like that and then the cars get put on the back burner but so beyond that you know and coming up with the budget it's not going to be a perfect situation but buy something that you love buy something that really gets your emotions going something that gives you some imagination something that you prefer and i think it's a great idea as richard said you know get out there talk to some people in some of the clubs and you know i i I talk about it often um you know i'm a big advocate of mark clubs but particularly for those that are just getting into the hobby i'm a even bigger advocate for organizations such as the Antique Automobile Club of America or AACA, uh, just simply because you can go to an AACA event, uh, a national meet. The one thing in their bylaws, we don't charge at all for entry into our shows. They're free and open to the public. So, you know, you can look it up at the ACA.org and find out what's going on 
see where the national shows are going to be. And you can even go on and find out where the local shows are going to be as well. And get out there and, and talk to the owners and look at the cars and then do your research and uh, narrow it down to find out, you know, hey, what really, no pun intended, get your motor running. Because um, you want to get something that you're going to love, you know. My my first car would would not have been a Renault Dauphin, okay? Um, it just wouldn't, you know. Of course, it probably couldn't have found one without a lot of rust in it, anyways. But still, um, yeah. The, the only other thing, now, also, you got to check paperwork. If if a car has, you know, if, if it's in depending on the state and the local laws, if it has a title or should have a title, but it doesn't have any paperwork, no title, you got to be a little suspicious, you know, because you may not be able to get it. Maybe the car was stolen. Uh, you don't know. So you also got to check the paperwork to make sure that uh, the person who's selling the car actually owns it and that you'll be able to register it in your name. You don't want to get into a whole restoration and spend thousands and thousands of dollars and years of your life. And then once the car's finished, you go to the DMV and you find out, oh, yeah, this car was stolen. It was in a robbery back in, you know, 78. So we got to confiscate it. And, and things like that have happened, you know. So, uh, it's, but, you know, you can't get replacement titles. So don't worry about that. Just do your paperwork. Do your homework. No, I, I agree. And and here's the thing, too, you know, use your head. You know, if you're just buying a project car, you know, if you're going out, you know, you're, you're picking up a, a 53 Plymouth Cranbrook and it's $3,000, you know, go through, check your VIN, make sure, make sure the title's open. You know, it, it's, at times it's easier to get a title for a vehicle that, has no title than it is to get a title for a vehicle that's not open where you know somebody has signed or filled in uh the uh buy and sell information on the title and even signed it over to somebody else but they never completed the transaction and they've got that title um you know it's still showing up at dmv is being titled and then you've got a piece of paper if you can't go back to these people now i know people that have bought cars driven 20 hours to pick one up, not really paid close attention, got back home, found out that the title wasn't open, that it had already been assigned to someone else. And the people who they bought the car from were moving. And then they had to try to chase everything down. So it can't be a be a real issue. Um, you need to make sure. But, but here's the other thing. You know, you're, you're buying a, a 53 Plymouth Cranbrook. You know, it, Great car, great starter car, fun car, family car, all of that. Easy to work on, easy to get parts for, that sort of thing. But what if you're buying something else? You know, sometimes people's first cars are a little bit more uh, more expensive. And I have a friend of mine who uh, two years ago purchased a restored, uh, it was an older slightly older restoration, a uh, 31 Cadillac B12 Roadster, a high-end, high-dollar car. Bought it from a reputable dealer, you know, and that's another option that you've got out there. There, you know, 
Yeah, there are the typical used car salespeople out there, too, but there are a lot of reputable dealers, uh, like the guys that follow us on this uh, show here, uh, Classic Auto Mall. Reputable folks. Um, but this car was purchased from a reputable dealer, dealer that has been in business for a long time. What ultimately was found out is that this car <coughs> had had been bought, it was a sedan, it had been shipped south of the border, a new body had been built for it, and then it was sent back over as an entirely, entirely different car, totally rebodied, and the, the even bigger issue was that my friend got a call from Arizona State Police asking him if he owned such and such and such a car, and he says, well, yes, I do. And they said, well, the reason we're calling is because somebody has duplicated all the information and there is another car registered here in Arizona with the same ID numbers and the same type of car, and we feel that your car is fraudulent. Um, and sure enough, he had an expert go through and look at it, and they got down to the... Uh, a lot of the older cars, they didn't have the typical VIN that you find on your windshield or on your doorpost. Um, they actually went by an engine number that was uh, stamped into the block or it had a plate that was affixed to the block. And uh, in this case, the, they had done such a great job in duplicating the numbers, they changed the numbers on the engine to reflect the other car. You couldn't tell the difference. And it was only after scraping with a knife over this ID that it actually revealed that there was another number underneath. It was really amazing. But, you know, in the end, fortunately, my friend was an attorney, and he did buy it from a reputable dealer. And so they managed to work that situation out, and the uh, car went back to the dealer. And uh, I don't know what happened from there. I just know that the dealer wasn't going to resell the car um, as a uh, a clone, so to speak. But there are a lot of clones out there, um, so you do need to be careful. You know, if you're buying a high end car, you're going to want to talk to somebody who really knows what they're doing. Uh, perhaps have an it's well worth the money to have an expert look at the car, and even the best experts. You know, my friend was a very experienced collector. The uh, guy that he bought it from, experienced collector car dealer, um, and it still slipped through the cracks. So you've got to be careful. Yeah, that's why I don't buy expensive cars. You don't want to get screwed and lose all that money. Keep cars are good. Big advantage. <laughs> <laughs> Keep cars are good. I, I'm telling you, you know, it's I I I I, I know you know. You, Everyone knows that I have a fondness for American Motors cars, and um, part of the reason for that is when I was coming up in the hobby, um, you know, they were relatively inexpensive. I could I could buy a Rambler for a couple hundred bucks, and gosh, it was a bunch of fun. I'd spend all summer working on it, drive it, and then I'd turn around and, and sell it, and I'd buy something else. Um, but, but, yeah, it, it's one of those things that... Uh, yeah, I and now I I've bought some more expensive cars too. Um, the problem with the car hobby is, is you start off at one point, 
And then sooner or later, you just find yourself and your tastes migrating. My problem now is I like everything. So it, that is a huge issue. Um, I am definitely an autoholic. Uh, no doubt about that. Same here. You know, there's one more thing we need to talk about when you're looking to buy a car. And let's, uh, gentlemen, numbers. let's talk about it after we get back from our break, okay? And uh, we'll be back with okay. Tom and Richard right after this. <laughs> if you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. It's all about cars and car people on the Classic Auto Mall podcast. Listen to new shows every week on AmericasWebRadio.com at 9 a.m. Eastern. After that, episodes are available there and on podcast providers such as Spotify and Google Play. Each week, Classic Auto Mall president Stuart Howden serves as your podcast host and interviews personalities from every aspect of the automotive world. Collectors, photographers, classic car dealers, and everyone in between. You don't want to miss an episode of the Classic Auto Mall podcast. Check out more at ClassicAutoMall.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now back to Tom and Richard and the Classic Car Show only on America's Web Radio. You know, right before the break, we were talking about uh, matching numbers. And there's a lot of falsehoods regarding that because not... Every car has an engine number that matches the chassis, matches the gearbox. Uh, in the Corvette world, in the Mopar world, I know it's a big thing. If you see a Corvette for sale in a, in a magazine or wherever, and it has the initials N-O-M, that means non-original motor. But in the Corvette world, it, it, it's a big thing. you got to have the original you know, engine block. So, again, uh, get some expert advice from restoration specialist who specialize in those cars and uh you know this way you could avoid that problem i mean it's no big deal especially when it comes to muscle cars uh it's no big deal when they had their engines replaced because back in the day those cars were you know from the showroom floor they were taken to the drag strips and a lot of them blew their engine you know they have replacement blocks over-the-counter blocks things like that so if it's not a big deal to you that's okay but, uh, you know, if, if you're looking at a car as an investment, and some people do, uh, then you want to make sure it has all the original 
components. I know if you buy a British car, you could get a British heritage certificate, and it has all the numbers listed that your car came with, so you could do uh, a lot of checking and uh, things like that. So, uh, you know, that's an important aspect for a lot of people. Uh, it's something that you definitely uh, want to look into before you buy the car. Absolutely. You know, don't, you know, that's something else talking about buying a car. Um, and that's why, you know, tip, you know, I've bought cars every which way you can. I've bought them from dealers. I've bought them from private individuals and I've bought them from auctions. And, you know, I, sometimes you can get a, get a decent deal, um, at an auction. But, you know, a lot of people despair over the prices when they're thinking about buying a classic car. Um, they despair over the prices that they see when they see them on TV. And part of that is, you know, as, as Richard just pointed out, you know, these, you know, very relatively rare, high-performance, limited production uh, Corvettes and other vehicles with, with numbers matching all the way down to the carburetors and, and all the other, other, all the other components. They are a lot of them what I would term an investment grade car. Um, you know, these days you've got people involved in the hobby that actually assemble investment portfolios of cars. Um, the cars that, you know, you see, you know, uh, particular Mustang or, or a uh, Camaro Corvette go across the block at, uh, say, a Barrett Jackson auction. And it, you're, you're looking at it and it's, you know, $250,000, $300,000 or more. Mopars way above, you know, uh, that. And you think, my God, I'm never going to be able to afford the antique car hobby. Um, I, that couldn't be further from the truth. The antique car hobby is much more affordable than you would be led to believe by watching all of these auctions on TV. And you can find that out. You know, just simply by going through a lot of different uh, classified ads, you can go to Classic Auto Mall there in PA and stroll the aisles and look at all the different cars. They've got something for everybody's budget, getting back to budget again. So, you know, don't don't despair. Um, the one thing I, I absolutely hate is the fact that people feel as if, you know, gosh, I'd love to have an antique car. I'd love to get involved. It would be so much fun. You know, I see them on TV and blah, 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 and my friends have it. You can afford to have a really decent, good collector car. And, you know, you may not always buy exactly what you want the first time, but you buy something you enjoy and can afford. And then in time, you build your way up. It's like me. I started off, as Richard said, with cheap cars. And I still like cheap cars. And everybody loves cheap cars. It's fun to, fun to work on cheap cars because, you know, you can just work on them and have fun. You don't have all the money invested in it. Um, you know, my pal Wes Peterson, you know, he, uh, he loves to drive the cars. I love to drive the cars. Um, you know, he always likes to say, you know, you got to be careful not to restore the fun out of them. In other words, make them so good that you don't want to drive them. But, uh, you know, there, there's a lot, to, a lot to be said by, you know, where, where you buy, where you buy your car and what you buy. But it is affordable. I, I mean, don't you agree, Richard? 
Yeah, you know, speaking of affordable, uh, this is uh, one tip that you never hear people talk about, and that is don't buy over your head. Don't buy a car that your bank account can't afford to keep running. Uh, you know, it's very enticing because, let's say, you know, you want to make that dream come true to buy a Ferrari, and you see a 308, you know, uh, a 78 308, you know, going for a good price, and you could afford it. You got the money in the bank. <laughs> But, but can you afford to keep that car running? I mean, when I was 22 years old, I bought a Jaguar E-Type, and the car was $3,000. It was a good running car. It was in great shape. And, you know, back in the 70s, you could buy it for three grand. But, you know, I mean, I was still finishing up college, and it was like, wait a minute, the generator just went. The carburetor's got to be, you know, rebuilt. And I couldn't afford the upkeep, and that's the problem. You may afford the car, but you can't afford the upkeep. And all of a sudden, that dream car becomes a nightmare. So don't buy over your head. Buy what you can afford and what you can afford to keep running. That's very important. No, that's true. Your 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 dream can, in fact, become become a nightmare. You know, cue the uh, uh, music from Frankenstein. But uh, yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And, and it's all about doing a little bit of research, you know. Be careful what you research online. There is a lot of great information online, but if you go online you, and you're doing your research, I would point you to, and I go back to Mark Clubs uh, for this, you know, most Mark Clubs have a presence on, on the web. Um, you know, yes, most of them also have Facebook pages, but they also have forums. And the forums tend to be the best resource for knowledgeable information. Um, you know, just ask about, you know, look up parts. You know, when I'm buying a new vehicle, I get out there and I research what the replacement parts cost. Um, just simply by, because I want to know how much I'm going to have to plink out um, if something goes wrong. You know, once it's out of warranty, I'm going to be fixing it myself. I want to look. You know, so, you know, there's a case to be made for buying, a, you know, some sort of GM, a Chevy product with an LS1 engine. You know, you can buy the parts and they're, they're cheap as opposed to, uh, you know, buying a, buying a Ferrari for sure. There's, there's a big difference there. Um, the one thing about it, though, I mean, can I tell everybody, don't be... Don't be afraid of it either. I mean, you know, Richard and I are talking about a lot of different things here, um, but but don't don't be afraid. You know, you, you're probably until you get a little more seasoned, despite your best efforts in talking to people and doing your research and everything else, you're going to find yourself things are going to happen. And you know, sometimes they're in your favor. I mean, I've bought cars and they've been 10 times better than I ever dreamt they ever could be. I mean, every once in a while you buy that car, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll have to say, I'm not always following my own advice, but if the price is right, I'll buy a car side, you know, almost sight unseen. I'll buy one from pictures, which is the worst possible thing you could ever do. And, but when I do that, I'd buy it with getting hosed in mind, you know, I'm paying a certain price for it and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm just rolling the dice here. And, you know, I know I can get burned, but I'm not going to get burned that bad. 
my risk level is something that's acceptable to me. And then I have stuff come in, and I, I'm like, gosh, I'm so glad I did this because it's so good. Now, other times I look at it and go, oh, what the heck were you thinking? Oh, my God. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's going to be fun uh, to get out there and buy that car, and it's always exciting. Just don't let it become a nightmare, as Richard said. <laughs> No, you don't let it become a nightmare. It could get out of control really fast. But most importantly, <laughs> buy the car that you yourself like. Don't buy a car because it has great potential investment down the end of the line or because it's the latest fad or because you saw it sell for a high price at the auctions on TV while you're watching it. It's like, you know what? Uh, you're not going to enjoy it. Buy the car that you always wanted to own. And test drive it first. I mean, and, you know, I had an Austin Healey 3000. I absolutely loved that car. I thought it was beautiful. But once I drove it, it was like, I can't even fit in this thing. The steering wheel's too close. I didn't have no room for my for my legs. And, you know, then you have to walk away because uh, if you can't fit in it in a comfortable manner, you're not going to enjoy driving it. So, again, you got to do all kinds of homework before you actually buy the car of your dreams. And if it's a running car and you're spending, you know, more than a couple thousand bucks for the car, you know, it's worthwhile to uh, <coughs> see if the owner will let you have a mechanic inspect the car, uh, a reputable mechanic that is familiar with the type of car that you're buying, and let them look it over. It's j very nominal in cost, and it can pay you huge, huge, huge dividends. That's not to say that you won't, you know, avoid any potential problems. I, I bought a 66 Caddy Coupe de Ville, um, which they're one of my favorites. But, uh, you know, 429 engine had been completely rebuilt stem to stern. I had all the receipts from where it had been rebuilt. I mean, every last thing down to the nuts and bolts that were put back in the engine. It was built by a reputable machine shop. And you know what? They missed one valve guide when they replaced it uh they punched it in it was a little too tight and uh valve stuck on me and uh punched punched a hole in the top of a piston so you know i mean even despite your best efforts realize you're going to have potential issues but you can really curb that i mean that one car that caused that problem for me was one out of over my lifetime it's it was one out of hundreds so you know it's not that not that big of a deal it's going to be fun can be a lot of fun meet a lot of great Join people along the way exactly so richard um the pick of the week my pick of the week this week was uh 1946 uh lincoln <laughs> It was for sale, um, rust-free, actually. I suspect it probably came from the Midwest, um, for sale in North Carolina, uh, asking price of $6,000. Um, those cars, um, not nearly as uh, popular as the uh, earlier, like the 41 Lincoln Continental. Um, in 1942, they bulked them up a little bit, kind of put big shoulder pads on the on the front fenders and made them a little bit bolder, but uh, they're still a really cool car, uh, neat car from the era. Era they really stand out. Um, 
and part supplies are relatively good. You know, they did have the uh, Lincoln, the newer, smaller Lincoln V12 engine. Um, by that time, 46, it was a 292 cubic inch engine. Um, it's not the same engine. A lot of people think, you know, well, gosh, it was just a stretch Ford Flathead V8, but that's not the case. The Ford Flathead V8 was uh, 90 degrees between the bank, cylinder banks, and the uh, the V12 was a little bit narrower at uh, 75 degrees uh, between the banks. Uh, yeah, initially, that engine had, had considerable issues, uh, issues breathing and uh, oiling, and uh, a lot of them ended up being replaced. But uh, by the time it got to post-war, they had corrected a lot of the issues, and uh, these days, too, a lot of people install uh, Mercury, Mercury as in Ford Mercury, not uh, Mercury Marine, but Mercury uh, Marine engine oil pumps in those things uh, so that you get better oil flow. And the other part of it is oils today are so much superior to the paraffin-based oils um, of the 40s, and so with the improvement in, in the quality of lubricants, um, a lot of the problems that the Lincoln B 12 had tend to go away today. Um, so, you know, they're not quite as scary to get into, but uh, $6,000 asking price, you get it down to about five. It didn't look like it needed a whole lot of body work. Uh, the interior was all there. It was actually serviceable. Um, you know, wasn't great. You know, you might wife wife might not want to jump in, uh, but uh, it, it looked pretty good uh, overall. And it's probably a car. You know, if you went down there and you chatted with them a little bit and flashed a little cash, you could probably get it for eh, who knows, maybe forty five hundred, maybe five thousand. Uh, do some work on it, get it running, drive it. You know. Uh, had a little patina, but it's fun. Uh, so for me, I was drawn to it. I thought it'd be be a cool car to have, and uh, you know, and yes, you can get those engines running really, really well. And uh, when you do, they're extremely smooth. And so, uh, just, you know, just a cool car. Think, and and the point of the, like that. And the point of the story is insurance with J.C. Taylor Insurance. As we're taking our final break before the end of the show, and. Uh, Guys, uh, as you all are, are J.C. Taylor experts, we're going to leave it at that and just remind everybody if they've got a muscle car, a classic car, whatever it is, J.C. Taylor will insure it, and they will give you the best deal going. And we'll be back right after a couple of messages and then back with Tom and Richard. Stay tuned. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, 
or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now back to the Classic Car Show with Tom and Richard. And we're talking, uh, well, they're talking about buying a classic car. So turn it back over to them. Yeah, you know, Tom, oh. talked about buying 26 Lincoln for $6,000. Those Lincolns had beautiful grills. Expansive grill runs across the whole, you know, bottom and and integrated kind of with that big giant bumper and and you had those bezels around the headlamps and the, you know of course you had the big hood on them and I bet to rechrome all that stuff would be in excess of twenty thousand dollars. So there, you know, you may be able to get the car at a really cheap price, but if you do, make sure that all those components are not only in good condition but they're there. Because, you know, to find, you know, a headlamp bezel for a 46 Lincoln, it's not going to be the easiest thing in the world. But, you know, plating today, keep in mind, folks, plating is incredibly expensive thanks to our wonderful EPA department. So, uh, and, you know, rightly so, you know, for years people are putting those chemicals down the drain, so we don't want to do that. But uh, plating is very expensive, you know, and uh, it's going to cost you. So, uh, you know, buyer beware. Yeah, the the thing of it is, you know, too, and uh, you know, it all depends on what you want. You know, I I one of the most fun cars I've ever owned. I, I bought a '59 Buick LeSabre. Uh, it was black. Come to find out, it had fifty six thousand documentable miles on it, all original miles. But I I bought it. It was buried up to the. Uh, rocker panels and it was sitting under a sycamore tree i paid seven hundred dollars for it i dug it out something about it was just calling to me i dug the car out i got it onto the trailer (laughs) i stopped stopped at the car wash to use the vacuum cleaners there to get the stuff out of it i clogged up one of them completely i i I felt kind of bad about that but i spent about 20 bucks i guess it worked out but you know i i got that car home everybody made fun of me for buying that car and uh they're like ah you'll never get it running so i was determined i was going to get it running (laughs) on the road and i did i went through everything brakes fuel you know engine the whole shooting match i didn't disassemble the engine it just required you know carb rebuild and new fuel pumps all that stuff but I, i put that car back together i got it running well uh i put some seat covers on it and uh you know, it was way less than perfect. A lot of the chrome was a little bit worn down. Um, you know, it wasn't appealing, uh, but it was it was was it was worn. I had so much fun with that car. I drove that thing everywhere. Uh, you know, I drove it to the grocery store. I didn't worry about parking ten miles from the from the door. You know, if it was raining, I drove it. I pulled up went in, got what I needed to get, uh, you know, it was just so 
much fun. And then that car, ultimately, a close friend of mine, his son, when he turned 16, just fell in love with that car. And uh, he had to have it. And so his dad and I worked out a deal where, you know, basically he, he ended up getting the car for what I paid for it. And then he proceeded to drive it to Hershey um, and put it in the uh, driver participation class at uh, the Hershey Fall Meet uh, four different times. And he, he still has that car. He's 26 now and getting ready to get married. So, you know, it's all in what you want. You know, if you want to go out and you want to, you know, build a car into a pristine show car, um, absolutely. You know, you're going to expect to spend the money. Um, if you want to make a car a good driver, which I encourage everybody to do at least once, um, you know, I've re- got restored cars, I've, I've competed in shows, but I really love the driver cars. It's it's just a blast to be able to get out so there and not worry. Cheap, 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 cheap cars are good. I've been saying that for years. Cheap, cheap cars are good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cheap, cheap cars. is good. <laughs> Inexpensive, Cheap Richard. Inexpensive. Down south, oh, yeah. down south, we're a little more genteel about these things. It's, it's an inexpensive auto, you know. Okay. When you when you were back on uh, uh, sitting on the stoop up there in Brooklyn, it was a cheap car. Oh <laughs> uh, no, hold it. That was a Brooklyn. That was a Boston accent. We don't talk like that in Brooklyn. <laughs> no. no, we pronounce out cars. No, but but. You said condition, you know, a condition three car is more fun to drive than a condition one. Because a condition one, you're going to be paranoid about getting a chip in the paint or a scratch or, or you know, getting a chip in the paint on, on the A-arm underneath that you're not going to see. Or if it rains, you're going to get paranoid. But driving a condition three car, even a condition four, is what I always term called drivable dream. You know, who cares what it looks like? You know, you're just driving it. You know, when you're behind the wheel, you don't see how shiny or dull the paint is. And you park it somewhere, you know, and you don't have to worry about someone giving you a door thing or something like that. So, uh, you know, cheap cars and cars that need work that don't look that great, aren't that beautiful, they're fun to drive. You can relax behind the wheel and not worry about, you know, again, getting a ding in the paint. So uh, go for it. No, it's it's true. I mean, a, a lot of my friends who, uh, you know, they love, just like building a model or anything else, they love to bring the car all the way back up, you know, and oftentimes they're better than, than they were when they were new by the time they're finished. You know, they take the cars out, they show them, they get all of their awards, and, you know, after about three or four years, most of them are like, you know, oh, i got one more award I want to get, and then I'm going to drive the car, you know. And they do get out there, get out there and drive them. Uh, I have a lot of, a lot of friends. I have a friend, Bob Dunbar, has a 69 uh, Pontiac uh, GTO Judge. Uh, to me, one of the very finest I've ever seen in the, in the country. And, uh, but I'm always teasing, teasing him and his wife, Nancy. It's like, you know, okay, one more award and then, uh, I'm going to be there and, and you and Nancy are going to be doing donuts in that thing out in the front parking. <laughs> Yeah, you know what awards are good for? You know what awards are good for? Collecting dust. You know, I don't have not one trophy. I never got a trophy. I don't care if I ever get a trophy. All they do is collect dust. Just drive the car. Don't worry about it. 
have fun. Yeah. You know, one day you may turn around and, and, you know, walking down the street, a brick may fall on your head, and boom, you're dead. You know, what are you going to save the car for the next time? You know, I'm the guy. You know, we, we're talking about your dream becoming a nightmare. You're getting hit in the head with bricks. <laughs> yeah, Did you get up off the wrong side of the bed this morning or what? <laughs> you know, you come out of you come out of the subway on Lexington Avenue. Someone hits you with a baseball bat. Boom, you're dead. You know, you're going to save the car for the next guy. You know, if you have you a know? convertible, don't worry about getting you know uh, you know a fold or a crease in the convertible top. It's a convertible top. Put it down when the sun's shining. I know people who don't want to put the top down because they don't want to get a crease in it. I mean, how sick is that? I mean, you know, unless you're preparing a car for Pebble Beach, you know, or Amelia Island, and you want to make sure it's perfect, fine. But once you get that useless, stupid award, just get out there and enjoy the car. Put the top <laughs> down. Burn <laughs> some rubber. Have fun. We we need to we need to spend some time together, Richard. Have a have a nice Italian meal and some good uh, adult beverages. You know, we we've got to got to talk about this this a little bit. You know, it's uh, I'll have to say I've shown cars and uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed showing the cars because of the people I meet um, showing the cars. I've I've judged a lot. I'm a uh, senior master judge with AACA. I've judged some Concord events as well. And uh, I'm a, a Xena team judge with AACA. Uh, I, I I have tremendous respect for those folks that uh, you know bring them all the bring those cars all the way up to an AACA standards 400 points. That gentlemen, we're going to have amazing because it's gentlemen. We're going to have to wrap it up. We got about 30 seconds before we get to the Auto Mall show. So I want to thank both hey, of you. So. It's uh. It's been a great show, and uh, I'm if if you loan me the money, Tom, I'll go out and buy a car today. Done. Oh, he's got done, to- David. <laughs> that '67 <laughs> yeah, Austin Hero that I sold. Uh, Richard's going to buy that one for you. I'll cover oh. the next one. Okay, you got it. Yeah, buy cheap. Cheap cars are good. That's right. And <laughs> I don't think an Austin Ely is that cheap anymore. But with that being said, we got to get out of here. Thanks for listening to The Classic Car with Tom Cox and Richard Lentano. Drive your cars. <laughs> Drive your cars. <laughs> we'll see you, gentlemen. Thank you. Ciao. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.